in the New Testament in the book of Acts. I'd like us to go there uh, in the book of Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. This is somewhat of a familiar passage of Scripture, and it's one that is um, tragic and yet ends up in such a comical fashion. Uh, you can't help but look at it and, and realize the humanity uh, of, of our praying. Um, I am going to take the time, I, I believe I'll take the time to read, um, starting in verse 5. And just to give you a little background, the first four verses, the Bible lets us know and, and tells us that uh, King Herod had, had taken James, the brother of John, the Apostle James, the brother of John, uh, and had him killed. And he saw that it pleased the Jews, and so he said, this is great, let's go get another Apostle, and why don't we just get the ringleader of the group, let's go get Peter. And so he goes and gets Peter, and brings him to prison, he's going to do the same thing. And we're going to pick up reading at verse 5. The Bible says, So Peter was kept in prison. Notice this. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Well, you don't notice that. We, and, and I'll get to this in a moment, but we, we tend to make a lot of assumptions about the subject of their prayer. But the Bible just simply says here that they were praying earnestly to God for him. The night uh, before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around, around you and follow me. The angel told him, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating." When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. We know Mark now as the, as the writer of the Gospel of Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. And she kept on insisting that it was so. They said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, that is James, the brother of Jesus, 
and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. And in the morning, all the guards were executed. That's how it ends. Now, it's tragic to a point in one sense in that there was now a second martyr in the church by the name of James, James the brother of John. But beyond that, Peter is now in prison because Herod realizes I'm going to be popular with the people. They love the fact that I just took an apostle, had him killed. I'm going to take another one, have him killed, and they're just going to love me. And so the Bible says in verse 5 that they were praying. The people of God were praying. And this is so important for each and every one of us to take a look at how it was that they prayed. Because the Bible says here that it was the church that was praying. In other words, it shows us that this prayer that was occurring was unified prayer. When they were praying, somebody wasn't praying, now Lord, you see the trouble that I'm in. And Lord, you know the struggles that I have. You know the difficulties that I'm going through. But when it came time for them to pray for a particular thing, there was unity in their prayer. They were unified as they prayed. The Bible says it was the church. It wasn't individuals. We know it's made up of individuals. But when we come together and we pray on Tuesday nights and we pray for these prayer requests, it is important for us to remember that as we pray, that we are a body who can affect great change. And we are a people, if we will pray and pray for the things that we present, that we can begin to see God do great and mighty things. Now the Bible just simply says in verse 5, it says that, The church was earnestly praying. I want you to notice that word earnestly. It means that it was fervent prayer. In other words, this was not just some kind of, you know, getting together and and we pray a couple of sleepy prayers because, you know, it's getting to be fall. It's a little chillier out, you know, and it's dark out already. And we just, you know, we're, we're starting to get in hibernation mode where it is that we just sort of feel a little restful as we want to just get back into our house and get into bed and go to sleep because it's just, that's the time to do Now, God wants us when we come together that we pray fervently. None of this, now I lay me down to sleep kind of nonsense. This has to be God. You've got to do something. And you know what? We have desperate situations we've got to pray for tonight. But as we pray, we've got to pray earnestly and pray fervently and believe that God is going to minister to whatever need it is that we're presenting. But we have to pray unified prayers. It has to be that we are in unity and that when we are in unity, we are also giving our all to it. It's easy to come in to a church service or to a Tuesday night prayer meeting and just say, well, Lord, I'm going to let somebody else carry it tonight. And it's just enough, Lord, that I'm here. Look, don't waste your time. Don't waste anybody's time. 
It's not just enough that you're here. It's not just enough that we just show up and we take up space in a pew, but instead we have to pray. And it's not just that as we get together and we pray for these prayer requests, but it might be in your own prayer time as an individual member of the church that you begin to lift your voice and you begin to pray and you pray fervently or you pray earnestly. You pray with all your heart. You give yourself to it. This is not one of those situations, and, and, and we're not living in a time that, that can, can afford us the ability to just sort of relax in prayer. We, we don't, we're not living in that kind of time, folks. We're not living in a day and age and in a society where Christianity is, you know, it's out there and everybody seems to proclaim it and profess it and all of that. We're not. In fact, we're living in a darker time now than we ever have been, I believe, in history of this country. We are living in a dark age. And it's not because, you know, it's not, we look around, we say, but the technological advances, the scientific advances, but there is also the idea that somehow now Christianity and, and what we believe as the truth of the Word of God is now, is, there's hostility toward it. So what are we going to do? Well, we could say, let's go out there and let's just fight the battle politically. That's not going to win it not going to change anything. What will change it is when we pray. Do you know that in Romania, for many, many years, they were under the hand of a dictator. It was a communist country. Churches, people were hauled off because of underground churches that they were a part of. They were persecuted. They were killed. There was, for so many years in the country of Romania, there was so much persecution of Christians. It was almost uh, heavier than it was in the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union still existed. And there was communism there. It was intense. Do you know how that government toppled? That government toppled not because a bunch of people revolted, revolted and got fed up, but it was as a result of little known, you won't see this in the media, but little known there was people praying in churches, in hidden churches, in underground churches. They were praying for God to change the situation. And you know what, folks? It changed the situation. I know for most of us, we think we got to get out, we got to be active, we got to do it. You can do nothing more active than praying earnestly. And not only that, it is purposeful praying. And this is what I want us to see as well. The Bible says that they were praying earnestly to God for him. That is for Peter. Now, they were praying because he had been captured. They knew what happened to James. And they were pretty certain. In fact, they were so certain that it was going to happen to him. It's kind of comical what happens a little bit later on in this passage. Because it sort of shows us, almost gives us a clue and a hint that they weren't necessarily praying for him to be released. Maybe they were praying, God, help Peter in the hour of his death. Strengthen him to face, you know, the, 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 the martyr's sword. Strengthen him, oh God, to, you know, to, oh, I have no idea. They were praying earnestly. They were praying in unity. They were praying, and they were praying to God for Peter. There was a, a request, and it was for Peter. 
Peter was the subject of prayer. Lord, touch Peter. Help Peter. Strengthen Peter. In fact, the Lord did something because Peter knew that he was going to face a martyr's death, and yet somehow he was so asleep that when a bright light, the light of the angel shone in the prison cell, he stood and wake up. In fact, the angel, the Bible says that he struck him. I have no idea how hard. I would love to know how hard. But I don't know if he kicked him. Peter, get up. That's what he says. Get up, Peter. Quick. Peter, you know, gets up, and the chains fall off. And Peter walks past one set of guards, walks past another set of guards. The city gate opens. Peter's walking, and all of a sudden, the angel leaves and, and gone. And then we know that he gets to the door, and he's knocking on the door, and, and the, the little lady, Rhoda, goes to the door to answer the door and says, it's Peter, and runs back. Doesn't open the door. It's Peter. No, it can't be Peter. I don't know what they were expecting in prayer. I just know that they were unified and they were fervent. And the, the cool thing is, is that it doesn't say in verse 5 that they were praying for Peter's release. They were just praying for Peter, which indicates to me that when you pray, sometimes even though you're praying in faith and you're praying fervently, that our faith doesn't quite reach the level of what God wants to do. So you know what God does? Listen to what he does. In fact, let me, let me just read this verse of Scripture to you. It's one that I love, and I try as best I can to quote it often. But I won't quote it. Let me just read it to you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Think about it. We don't know what they were asking for, but they must not have been asking for Peter's release. Because when Peter shows up at the door, you would imagine the expectation of faith would be like, well, of course he's at the door. But no, they say, clearly it's his angel. It has to be. Can't be Peter, he's in prison. It's got to be his angel, whatever that means. They go to the door and Peter's, you know, hello, open the door, will you? You know, I'm knocking, I'm knocking, and, you know, nobody's answering. You're all excited, you're all praying. I'm out here in the cold, please let me in. And he goes in. Why is it that God seems to always do more than we could ever ask or think? It's be, I believe it is to bolster our faith for the next time we begin asking, for the next time we begin praying, for the next time we begin to pray in unity and pray in faith. Because at that point, we can begin to say, like the prophet Ezekiel, when God said, do you think these bones in this valley of dry bones can live? And he says, oh Lord, only you know. In other words, Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to limit you with what I imagine can happen, but Lord, I'm going to let you do what you can do best. I'm going to let you do beyond what I could ever imagine or I could ever think. And God is always in the business of doing more than what you can ask. So that's the kind of God we serve. That's why we pray. 